Allen pass the block. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance three. Chance three. The three from half court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go. And the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the Aces the lead. The doctor is now in. In, in, in. Uh, Aces fans, don't we remember that? That was the postseason. That was the first game of the postseason, go back to 2018. And tonight, game number one between the Las Vegas Aces and the Phoenix Mercury tonight. Looking forward to it. Even though the Mercury, a shell of themselves. I don't know how many players they're actually even going to have tonight. I think they're suiting up eight. But it uh, should be very interesting tonight as it all starts at the Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena. Game number one, the Las Vegas Aces have secured the number one overall seed. Oh, yes, home court advantage means a lot. And even though Becky Hammond tried to downplay it a little bit, so, ah, I kind of like number two. I like the number two seed. I like being on the road. You're at home. Fans love it. Expect another packed house here tonight. 7 o'clock tip-off. We're looking forward to that tonight as the Aces are on their way to hopefully first ever championship. Can I tell you something I really want to hear tonight? Sure. Boom, shaka, laka, laka, boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that request a lot. People come and say, hey, is tonight a boom, shaka, laka, laka, boom night? I go, it just depends on the situation. I mean, none of that is scripted, really. It's not. And I don't even know where I came up with that. But, yeah, it just it, it, it hit. And then when there's an exciting play or a three, you could get the boom shakalaka or how boom. about Or how about, boom, goes the dynamite here. <laughs> yeah, that's we good, We need too. that. You like that. All right, you're going to get plenty of it. Ace is a 14-point favorite tonight. <laughs> People going, 14, it's huge. Oh, they're going to win by 20. It's like, slow your roll. They should. The average margin of victory in this series has been about 20. Aces won by 22 in the very first game of the season. Another game by 20, 14. So, and the Aces played the Mercury three games. Three out of their first six games of the year was against the Mercury in May. And they got them out of the way. And that was when Diana Tarazi and Skylar Diggins-Smith were on the team and healthy and that sort of thing. Of course, it wasn't with, with Brittany Griner. Uh, but it's just been a dreadful season for the Phoenix Mercury, a team that you can argue shouldn't even be in the playoffs. And they backed their way in with a losing record of 15-21. and 21. So not the same Mercury team. But, yes, the Aces have had revenge on their mind all season long. And it's real. And we talked about this, the first, second, and third matchups that the Aces had uh, against Phoenix. And yeah, players were not shy about it. Say, no, it's revenge. I can tell you, being there firsthand, it was it was ugly. I mean, going back, you're in Phoenix. We got a chance to clinch going to Chicago for the championship series. 
which again, the Aces, we would have home court advantage in that series, being the number one seed. And uh, you lose game four in Phoenix, and, and then you lose game five on your home floor. That was devastating. And yes, that did prompt, I want to say, the exit of Bill Lambeer. But team needed a new direction, and they parted ways with Lambeer. The philosophy is different. And that was it for Luz Cambage, which not necessarily was a bad thing, as we know. But yes, uh, this Aces team is playing some great basketball right now. All right, on the show today, you're going to hear from Jackie Young, the Aces point guard here in a few uh, moments. I say point guard, Jackie Young, shooting guard, off guard, just the guard. Career year for her. She uh, was a good portion of the season, averaging 20 points per game. She's averaging a little over 16 right now. Uh, phenomenal. So Jackie Young coming off a little bit of an illness. Uh, she only played about 23 minutes in that game. Only had a bucket, but some big steals, big defensive plays. And Jackie Young came up big in the clincher on Sunday. All right, so Jackie will join us. Krista Blunk, who does the TV along with, along with uh, Carolyn, She's going to join us as well, too. Uh, get Krista's uh, thoughts on this. Uh, the TV portion is all done now from a local perspective, so the television side is all dominated by ESPN. But uh, Krista will join us today. Trevor Maddich, we'll talk to him. College football. We're going to talk to him about the college football rankings, NFL training camp, and a whole lot more. Marco D'Angelo will join us, too. He'll be in-house, talk a little Major League Baseball betting as well. All right? So we've got that in aces as well. Okay, let's go to the phones. Tyreek, what's going on, my friend? Hey, how's it going, TC? Nice to speak to you, man. I've been I've been following you all day from BetUS to Twitter to, to now this radio show. So I appreciate that, man. A, Thanks for checking in. Yeah, no problem. I just had a quick question because uh, I know you do the Aces games. Like, what do you think from uh, you know from a different perspective, like from a Vegas perspective? You know, typically in playoffs, you don't want to take you know big numbers, double digits. In NBA, at least, but I don't even know how it works in WNBA. Yeah. Kind of, what is your feel about that and, all, and whatnot? Well, here's the thing: the, the Aces lines <laughs> are inflated, and they have been inflated exactly. f- from the very, very beginning. And we go back to the future lines the last few years. They they would put the Aces as the favorite when they didn't deserve to be the favorite as far as futures go. So it, it's kind of a trickle down effect. So now you've got this right. team that's playing great basketball. Uh, every line is nearly double digits, no matter who they're playing. When they're playing Chicago and Seattle, those numbers were around six or seven, and you can make a case for for playing them. But when they are double digits like this, it, it is kind of hard to play them, and, and especially the money line. There's been a lot of sharp money that's come on the money line, uh, and a lot, uh, Sam's a little crazy, but it might open up minus 1,100, and there were people that were willing to lay it. It's now minus 1,600, and the Aces are going to win the right. game tonight. There's no question about it. The line tonight is yeah. 14, and is it inflated? Absolutely. But like I just said, if you look at the average margin of victory over the Phoenix Mercury, it's been close to 20 points. And Phoenix will not have Dinah Tarazi. She's out tonight. She's got a quad strain. She missed the last uh, couple of games. Skylar Diggins-Smith has quit on the team. She's not, not with them anymore. So you take your two leading scorers and you take them out of the mix. And then you're going to have to get people like Brianna Turner, who averages you know four points a game, to in Shea Petty to take over the point guard duties, who who really isn't a big scorer. I don't know where the the scoring comes from from the Phoenix Mercury. And they only average about 78 points per game anyway. So 
I guess long story right. short, if you're laying, if you're willing to lay the fourteen tonight, it actually, believe it or not, it, it's it's probably not that bad of an idea considering all of these factors that we're talking about. Aces playing the best basketball possible if they have lockdown defense and they still have that you know revenge motive against Phoenix, they could write their own score here. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, like you said, they're decimated in the revenge factor and all those factors you said. So. Well, we'll see how it goes. I appreciate the the opinion. Yeah, not a problem, man. Anything else before we uh, uh, let you go? Uh, no, I appreciate the Astros' perspective too. I literally watch the show every morning. So thanks, man. I, I appreciate, appreciate that. It. I appreciate. Yeah. It. I appreciate yeah. you checking in uh, on on the chat, and you got a free form here to check in and on the radio show and and listen every day too, Tariq. So I appreciate it, man. For sure. Thank you. Have a good one. You got it. There he is. All right, Tyreek, checking in. Questions about the WNBA Aces. Yeah, it's it's the second season. In, if you haven't been betting on the WNBA, uh, it, it's something to look at. And because a lot of these numbers are, are made pro- incorrectly, just because a lot of the bookmakers, and we've talked a lot about this in years past, they, they don't watch the games. They don't know the nuances. They don't know the personnel. Um, especially, you know, when you look at trends and road trips, especially the travel issues the WNBA teams have had. But, you know, that is the bottom line, is that the Aces lines are inflated. And to bet on the Aces, you're going to have to lay plenty of juice if you're betting money lines. You're going to have to lay plenty of lumber on the lines. You would think that this line should come in somewhere along the lines maybe of, of maybe eight and a half, nine or ten. But again, with all the injuries that Phoenix has, they're a mess of a team right now as well. And the way Aces are playing, yes. Like Becky Hammond says, you know, we play defense, could beat anybody. But if we don't play defense, we can get beat on any given night. So, all right, looking forward to tonight. All right, uh, 6.30 pregame with uh, Becky Hammond will be joining me, Jackie Young, and, of course, tip off a little bit after 7 o'clock tonight. Get to the house, access.com, AXS.com is your tickets for the game tonight. And remember, 10,000, a record, 10,015 came to the Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena. We expect great crowds on hand tonight. White rally towels being dished out tonight for the fans. That should be big as well, too. All right, so we've got that. We'll talk more about the Aces with uh, Krista Blanc. Jackie Young, she's had a phenomenal season so far. Career years for her. Just named Most Improved Player by the Associated Press. Uh, That same award will probably go to her for when the WNBA announces their awards here in a couple weeks as well, too. She gets ready for the game tonight. Coming off of illness, here's my conversation with Jackie Young. Welcome back to the Michelob Ultra in the Mandalay Bay as we get ready for tonight's game. Game number one of the playoffs with the Aces and the Phoenix Mercury. Join me now, Aces guard Jackie Young. Jackie, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Clinching game on Sunday where you guys got the number one seed. Describe the feeling after that game. Yeah, we knew that was a big game. Uh, just coming into it, we knew it was a game we needed to win. Uh, just getting off to a good start for the playoffs. And so uh, we really just... Try to come out there and handle business. It was a good game. We definitely put on a show for the fans. So just really looking forward to the game tonight. Becky was trying to downplay the importance of getting the number one seed. Was it very important to you guys in achieving that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, but I think we also just try to go out there and play our game, just do everything that we usually do and uh, not try to hype up the game too much so that 
we'd come out and not be ourselves. And so I think the biggest thing was just going in there, just treating it like a normal game and, and finishing business. We have great fans. We need to put on a show for them every game. And so I think we're all looking forward to having home court advantage. Uh, that's why we try to win as many as many games during the regular season as we can so we can get a, a good seed in playoffs. And uh, now we're here and get to play two games at home. So we're really just looking forward to that and, and putting on a show for our fans. Speaking of that, record crowd, over 10,000 on Sunday. We know that the house is going to be packed for all of these home games. How did that feel and that energy when you're on the floor on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, our fans are great. Uh, they're always cheering loud for us. And so it's our job to just go out there and have fun, put on a show for them. Um, they play a huge role for us, and they show up every night. And so it's important that we show up for them too. Notice you spent a little bit more time on the bench in Sunday's game. Was that an injury? Was it an illness? What was behind that? Yeah, no, I was sick. Uh, so I just tried to come out there, do whatever I can to help my teammates. I wasn't feeling well, and so I actually pulled myself uh, the start of the second half. And so I told Bay, you go out there, get us going. And uh, we were just trying to get me feeling better on the sidelines, and I was able to just come in and uh, just come in for a few minutes at a time to, to kind of just do my job and <laughs> to try to do the little things. Uh, I wasn't really scoring much, even looking to score, and so I was just trying to come out there and really just get rebounds, make the right plays. Well, you came back in the fourth quarter, had a couple steals, a couple big buckets as well. How difficult was that for you to come in there the way you were feeling on Sunday? Yeah, it was tough. Um, but I just try to do whatever I can to help my team win. Um, I knew I couldn't play my normal minutes, but uh, just playing a few minutes here and there, uh, I knew I knew I could help my team. And so um, just whatever I could do to help them, I was willing to do. And, yeah, I uh, wasn't feeling the best. But at the end of the day, I love this game. I love my job. And so I just tried to go out there and uh, give what I could. Jackie Young joins us. Get ready for tonight's game between the Mercury and the Las Vegas Aces. You've had such an amazing year, increased your point scoring, was averaging close to 20 for a good part of this season, improved shooting percentages, and the confidence really has built. What do you feel has attributed to all that? Just a lot of off-season work, you know, just working on my game, working on myself, uh, just really ex uh, expanding my range out to the three. That's been the biggest thing for me. Teams aren't going to... They aren't going to double Asia. Uh, they aren't going to just sit in the paint anymore, and so they kind of have to come out there and like respect the three. And now that we can all shoot it, um, it makes it harder for us or for them to guard us. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me was really just being confident in the three and willing to shoot the three ball. Talk a little bit about that off season with working on your three because we've seen a lot more trajectory, a lot more arc on your shot. Again, is it just that work, that attention to detail? Did you have anyone working with you? Whenever Becky got hired, we talked and she just wanted me she just wanted me shooting a lot of reps. And so when I was in Australia, I was getting a lot of reps up. And I wasn't necessarily shooting threes in practice. I mean, in games, I think I only shot like 15 over there in, in the games. But uh, before practice, after practice, I was just really just putting up a lot of shots. And then whenever I came back over here, I started working with Tyler. We made a few tweaks. And yeah, I, it just gave me a lot of confidence to just be able to come in the game and shoot the threes. Uh, we didn't change a whole lot, but I think just changing a, a little bit has helped a lot. The playoffs are here, ready for this matchup. You guys got the top seed. Phoenix gets in the number eight. It's a rematch of last year's WNBA semifinals. How much of that has been talked about with you guys, remembering how this season ended 
last year. Has that triggered you a little bit or motivated you as you get ready for this Phoenix series? Yeah, we, we know uh, how it ended last year. Um, but really, we're just trying to come out and focus on game one, just playing our game, playing the way that we play, just uh, being ourselves and, and try to handle business. And so I think the biggest thing for us is just executing the defensive uh, game plan. Uh, we know we can score on offense, but uh, just staying locked in on defense is the biggest thing for us. Everyone's had a fantastic year, of course, with a 26-10 and 10 regular season record, the number one seed, numerous all-stars on this team, several records. In your opinion, what is different about this team this year in compared to, say, your first three years in the league? I mean, I would say the style of play is a lot different. Obviously, we have a, we have a new coach, a new style. Um, it's kind of more of like a five-out. Uh, just It's just more open, you know, and so... Uh, Asia is shooting threes, I'm shooting threes, and so it just makes it more spread for us, for us to be able to get downhill, uh, kick it out to our teammates, make the extra pass, and so, um, I mean, I think it's just the different offense has helped us a lot, and us working our games in the offseason and coming back, better players has also helped, just expanding our games and everyone being able to knock down the three and just playing the right way. We know chemistry is a big part of the success as well, too. What is special about this team? Yeah, we've been together for a while. Uh, I know I played with Sydney my rookie year. Uh, so it's just been a lot of us uh, that have been together for a while, and I think we'd really just have just continued to build that each year. Uh, in training camp, everyone came in, came in really focused and locked in, and uh, we've just been able to build that chemistry uh, since Becky got here, really. You're known as kind of the quiet one around some very loud characters and some boisterous characters as well, too. Have you uh, opened up a little bit uh, over the course of this year? Yeah, I mean, everyone say would say that I'm talking more this year, uh, just coming out of my shell a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I'm naturally quiet, but <laughs> uh, each year I just try to just talk more. Uh, early on, uh, I was talking with Becky and... She just wants me to kind of be our defensive leader. She knows I see the plays ahead of time. And so just being able to communicate that on the court um, is what I've just really been working on. And uh, I mean, I lead by example, but I think now it's just being more vocal and just talking more is the biggest thing. All right, now that we've reached the playoffs here, do you have a little bit different approach? you do anything different in your prep or your downtime as the playoffs are here now? Or is it the same routine? Uh, I try to keep the same routine. Uh, yeah, I I like to keep it the same every every game. Uh, yeah, I won't really change anything. I'll just treat it like any other game, uh, but we know what's on the line. Final thing, what is the message to the fans as they get ready for this playoff run? Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, we're going we're gonna to put on a show for you guys. And, uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you guys uh, being here throughout the whole season. And uh, now it's time for the fun. All right, Jackie, great season thus far. Keep it up. We look forward to a fantastic postseason. Thank you. All right, uh, Jackie Young earlier. Aces getting ready for the playoff game number one tonight against the Phoenix Mercury. The Aces, number one seed, best two out of three. Okay, playoff format different, and the Aces have not played in a first-round game in a while. Since this format, usually the top two seeds have gotten buys. It's been a one-and-done situation for those for these teams, the lower seeds. But the WNBA has changed things around. The top eight teams 
regardless of conference, because there really is no conference affiliation in the WNBA. So it's one versus eight, and Phoenix backed the, themselves into this number eight seed. Aces should roll tonight, but it's best two out of three. And here's another format you know, change as well, too. So the first two games, the Aces will host. And the same thing is happening with every other series, the other three series that are, that are going on, is that the higher seed team hosts games one and two. You win the first two games, series over. It's best two out of three. If the visiting team or the lower-seeded team takes one of those two games, the deciding game, game three, is on the road. Now, that's a little controversial, but the WNBA does not want to have the travel issues of going back and forth, back and forth, the two out of three. They even toyed with the idea of maybe having the first game of the series on the road at the lower-seeded team. They thought, well, maybe that's too much of an advantage. I don't know. What do you think? What is more of an advantage? To to host game one in a best two out of three or game three? It's it's a it's a very good question. So I don't have the I know you don't have the records in front of you, but Aces home and home and away. Yes. Different. Yes. How, how much yes. of a difference? So the Aces at home uh, this year. I know they were, were thir- amazing. Well, yeah, yeah, they were thirteen and five. Okay, and they were very good on the road. Very good on the road. Uh, I believe they only had four. Well, we do the math. If they had ten losses, right? All right. Yeah. Four losses, so they played 18 road games. So there you go, 14, 14 and four on the road. <laughs> Very good on the road, and that's what Becky was talking about when she was telling me, "Well, I kind of like the number two seed." Yeah, wait a minute, you, you, you got a chance to get the number one seed. You don't want to rest anybody, all right? Because there was talk that Seattle was going to maybe rest Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird in the final regular season game on Sunday because they couldn't improve their position at number four. So they're hosting the Mystics. That's going to be a series. So the winner of this series between the Aces and Phoenix take on the Mystics and the Storm. That's going to be a heck of a series. So we could see Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart again or could see Elena Deladon. And we know that the Mystics have had the Aces number. The Connecticut Sun for the better part, have had the aces number. Those are the two most dangerous opponents. I don't worry about Seattle too much, even though they're phenomenal. I don't worry about the Chicago sky because the aces have shown over the years that they have really dominated the sky. So, but yeah, I think that was one of the reasons why Becky was saying, well, you know, I'm kind of downplaying this number one seed thing here. So first question I'm going to ask you tonight in the pregame show is going to be, okay, you downplayed it. You like where you're at now? You happy to get the number one? <laughs> so that is a big deal. There's no question. And then the players. The players want the number one seed, too. So that's good. All right. We'll talk more Aces playoff uh, basketball coming up in the next segment here with uh, Krista Blunk, who handles the TV duties here uh, locally as well. All right. Uh, Carolyn Peck, who she tags team with, is doing the ESPN studio work as all these games now are on ESPN on the TV side. But from the radio side, hey, you still got me for the duration of the playoffs. And Numchuck is rooting for distance. He, he wants to keep me out of the studio here while I'm on the road. You want to send me far away. You want oh, me I to do. go to Washington. You want me to go to Connecticut. I do. You want me to go to Chicago. No. I want to go to Chicago. I want to go to Chicago. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you can come in. Let's, let's both come, go. You, you can come. I'll, I'll be your tech. The, the the job is is open. If you want it, 
No. <laughs> you don't want it? No. You wouldn't want to go to Froggy's? No. It's you wouldn't want to go to Harry Carey's? Hot and humid. Hot, hot and humid? Hot and humid. What are you talking about? Nights are beautiful in Chicago. I know nights are you're beautiful. afraid to go back. You sitting there yesterday, you're telling me about how you miss Chicago and you haven't gone back. You need to go back. No. Wow. Wow. You really don't want to go back. I really don't. I'll drive you by Soldier Field. No. You can go see the rats. No, I don't <laughs> I don't want to see what they're planning on with that. Did you see that alien? spaceship thing that they're trying to do at Soldier Field. It, it already is a spaceship thing. It's ridiculous. No, now Have you seen it? Now they're trying to put the put a roof on it and make it even worse. No. It's insane. All right. NFL news. All right. I don't know if this would be called breaking news, but... <laughs> oh, it's breaking news. Do we have sound from Aaron Rodgers today? Do you have Aaron Rodgers sound? I'm just going to give you the quotes then. I meant to get this to you earlier today. Aaron Rodgers comes out yesterday after practice saying he's frustrated in training camp. Now, the Packers are doing these joint practices, and we're going to talk more about this with Trevor Match when he joins us at the top of the hour, about these joint practices. Now, the Raiders are going to be going through this themselves with the Patriots coming up here next week. they got a game against the Patriots in, in the preseason, they play the Patriots in the regular season, and they're going to have a couple joint practices with the Patriots. Now, I wonder how that's going to go, because most of these joint practices end in scuffles. And that's exactly what took place with the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots, where Christian McCaffrey got thrown to the ground. It happens all the time, every year. Now, the Packers just got done doing uh, a couple, or did one yesterday, and come back again today with the Saints, all right, for their preseason's game. And Aaron Rodgers wasn't too happy with his wide receivers. Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins has now joined the Packers, all right? Romeo Dubs. Here's Rodgers' quote. The young guys, especially the young receivers, we've got to be way more consistent. A lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, running the wrong route. We've got to get better in that area. The regular season's coming up. We're going to play our best guys when the season starts. And whoever these guys are, those guys are going to get the reps. It's the guys I trust the most and the guys and the coaches I trust the most. A lot of it is just the simple responsibility in the offense. Way before body positioning and movement and throw and all that stuff. Are you in the right spot at the right time? Are you running the right route? You keep dropping the ball. You're not going to be out there. It's going to be the most reliable guys that are out there, too. The preparation, the job responsibility is most important. There's going to be physical mistakes, like we've talked about, but if you're going out there and dropping the ball and somebody else behind you is in the right spot all the time and catching the ball, that's the guy that's going to play. There's your quote from head coach, general manager, team president, oh, and quarterback Aaron Rodgers. So when you hear him say that, what do you think? I think nothing really wrong with saying that except one thing. You don't want to use the media to get your message out to your teammates. Now, if you are Lazard or Cobb or Watkins right now and you're hearing that, you're saying, bro, come talk to me. Isn't this what we're supposed to be talking about in our meetings, in the huddle, on the field? You go to the media, and you want to talk about, yeah, 
lot of the young receivers. Guys are dropping balls. We need to be much more consistent. Nothing wrong with saying, hey, we need to be more consistent. Aaron Rodgers should have approached it like this. You know, right now we've got a uh, young receiving core. Miss Devontae Adams, he's not going to bring his name up anymore. But he's going to say, I feel good about our receivers. He's got eight years with Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb came back because Rodgers wanted him. Cobb came back because of his familiarity, and Cobb was bouncing around the league, and it didn't work out for him in a couple of the spots. But what has Cobb done since he came back to Green Bay last year? Not much. But you should say, we're still learning each other. Got to get on the same page. Concentrate on our routes. Boom. You do that, this isn't a story today. But because you say that we got guys dropping balls, you know, when the regular season starts, the guys that are going to, you know, if you keep dropping balls, basically, is what he's saying, you're not going to be playing. You keep dropping the ball, you're not going to be out there. Say that to your teammate outside of the cameras, not in front of the cameras. Jordan Love, talk a lot about Jordan Love. What a horrendous draft pick that was three years ago. Utah State, where he was marginal in the Mount West Conference. Three interceptions against San Francisco. Three interceptions against San Francisco in the first preseason game last weekend. Jordan Love's not going to see the field. Aaron Rodgers is back. But here we go. It begs the question again. Should your starting quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, your players that you expect to carry the load, should they be playing in the preseason? At least a little bit. Rodgers is going to see the field. Carr doesn't sound like he's going to see the field. Carr should see the field. It's a new system. New teammates. Him and Devontae Adams can throw all they want you know, to each other in practice or their sessions you know, at the facility or a local high school. They can do all that. But now when you're facing... Other teams' number one cornerbacks and safeties. You need those reps, man. You just can't go back and, hey, we're going to pick up where we left off, you know, eight years ago at Fresno State. Doesn't work like that. And I talk about it all the time. Opening week of the NFL season, guys that rest and do not play a snap, they struggle. They're rusty. The timing's not there. It's just the facts. It's human nature. You need reps. You can have all the reps you want against your own teams or seven-on-seven drills, but it's not nearly the same in game situations when you're going against the other team's number ones and their number ones, especially if they got all pros at those corners. So, yeah, we'll get into a little bit more of that when we talk to Trevor Maddich next hour. Okay, but Aaron Rodgers calling out his team in frustration. Oh, by the way, in that scrimmage against the Saints – my sources are telling me they were back there in Green Bay. The Saints got the better of them. They got the better. Yeah. And Love was throwing interceptions again. Rodgers wasn't particularly sharp at all. And that's where the frustration comes in. But guess what? It's training camp. And teams never used to do this way back in the day about doing these split scrimmages or rather, you know, these split practices with teams and all that stuff. It's more of an avant garde thing it has been in the last few years. Tempers flare. You got all this stuff. It's like, okay. And a lot of times, you're not going against the other team's number one. You're going against their backups as well, too. So I'm not sure the purpose of it all. Let's get playing some football. Let's come to that 
that second Sunday in September so we can start playing, start wagering. Here we go. You got to love it. All right, we come back. Uh, we'll talk about the Aces. We'll preview the game with Krista Blunk. She will join us next hour. We got football. We got baseball to talk about. Marco D'Angelo will be in the house. Trevor Match as well. It is definitely a wild Wednesday. It's a playoff Wednesday here in Las Vegas. Game one tonight of the number one seeded team, the Las Vegas Aces. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Getting ready for the WNBA playoffs. Oh, yeah. Tonight, game number one between the Aces and the Phoenix Mercury. It's going to be packed. It's going to be jammed. Looking forward to that tonight. And get your playoff tickets at access.com, AXS.com. And uh, joining me now is my tag team partner from across the way. And I say across the way because we're on opposite sides of the court usually. She handles the TV portion of it. Uh, I, of course, doing the radio side, but uh, always great to kind of, uh, you know, connect with uh, my sister, whatever you want to call her from the other side. And she's off right now. She's vacationing because the TV portion is done. As we know, ESPN is taking over and doing that. But her tag team partner, Carolyn Peck, who we're going to talk about as well, too, uh, she'll be back in the studio on ESPN starting tonight. But Krista Blunk, in her first year with the Aces doing the TV side, you guys have seen her locally. Uh, and she joins me now. Krista, what is happening? TC, can you hear me? These, these yep. headphones are not cooperating sometimes. Yes, I mean, I can hear you <laughs> fine. Can you hear me? That well, is the question. And I'm on vacation. I was taking some time. On, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> there's no vacation time. There's no vacation time. I'm still in playoff mode, even if I'm doing it from home. So This is true. This is true. I, I get it. So how much fun have you had on the TV side this year? Oh, my goodness. It, it's been such a blast. I That's the word that I keep saying. It really has been, though. I mean, just... You know, the season, as you know, it's just a whirlwind. and um, But the talent and the games are just constantly, I mean, you pick a day of the week, there's games on, and it's, it's pretty exciting, you know, uh, just to watch the talent pool. And, uh, I mean, only eight teams make it, make it in, and you think about the talent that, di- that didn't make it in. And, um, you know, any game, I- I'm so glad that they expanded the, the system this year, too, to go to the, the format for the three-game series. Because any team can beat any team on any given night. I mean, I really believe that. So um, what a plus to get a, a couple of chances. You know, you get more than more than one chance to, to stay in it with, as far as the playoffs go. All right. So this is your first year, like I mentioned, broadcasting with the team. I'm curious, Krista, what was your take before you got here watching the Aces from afar? And, uh, again, you know, when, when, when people relocate or they're not covering a, a, a team, uh, I'm just curious, what was your thoughts going back to, say, a year ago? You know, much different. Uh, definitely not nearly as connected to it, unfortunately. You know, I, I, I worked in the league for over 13 seasons, and then when you move out of a market or you're not somewhere where there is a team, you just don't hear about it quite as much or maybe the time difference. Maybe there's a game on the East Coast time difference you just you missed it because it started at maybe four o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon you know and so unfortunately you don't always hear about it quite as much but but i do believe that there is a lot more hype about it now i think you see uh, so many more people talking about it uh, through social media and maybe it's just the people that 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 i follow more now and, and pay attention to but um i do think that the talent pool has changed so much and uh I'm glad that I'm able to watch it more, but 
I, I do think that there could be even more done as far as promoting it and really getting getting it out there. And like you mentioned, 13 years, you know, in the league, you know, broadcasting. But going back, I know that you know you were from Indiana and you played basketball yourself. You even played a little bit professionally. In uh, you know, growing up in Indiana, I mean, the bottom line is, isn't it a rite of passage where basically you have to have a basketball in your hand at the age of two, or, or, <laughs> or, or how does that work? Absolutely, it's a, it's an agreement at the hospital when they sign the papers and get ready to take you. They just they hand them a basketball at the same time. <laughs> I think that's what I was told anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, I can remember the very first basketball you know that I had. It was one of those kind of big red, white, and blue. You know, like the Harlem Globetrotter basketball. Yeah, you know? the was, old uh, the old ABA. Was, I know you're not that oh, old. You know it. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I've heard of the ABA. Yeah, and so yeah, that was my first basketball. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, just kept kept wearing them out and, and having to get new ones. But, yeah, you know, somebody always had a hoop and somebody was playing somewhere, it seemed like. Uh, and it, it is true. You know, it's not to say that there aren't some hotbeds in other states, but there's no doubt that um, it's, it's a pretty important it's a pretty important sport in Indiana. Now, any truth to the rumor that you basically were the female version of Jimmy Chitwood and you played <laughs> on the on the dirt on the dirt driveway? Is that true? You know it. Well, it's interesting you say that. I've played on my share of dirt courts, that's for sure. My, one of the first goals that I used to go to, there was a park near my house. We didn't have a basketball goal at the time, so if I wasn't at a neighbor's house, I would go to this park. The backboard was very wobbly, insecure metal backboard with a metal chain net. So <laughs> I figured if I, could, if I could score on that thing, I could score anywhere. And then my first basketball hoop that was finally put up, the driveway had a big slope to it. So the goal was, if you make the shot, it doesn't go down the hill. But if you missed, and it took a long bounce, and I was chasing it down the road. So incentive to work on my shot as well. <laughs> that is hilarious, because while you're <laughs> describing that, that was me as a child. Same thing. <laughs> right? No, I mean, seriously. So... Uh, when I was, we, we moved and then we kind of went out to the, uh, the country in a little bit and my dad got, he had like an acre and a half or something like that. And the first thing we did yeah. is, is put up a hoop and against a big oak tree and we had rocks and I had this, this little dirt thing <laughs> and it was the same thing. So when I would shoot up at the top from like, say from the left corner, it was, yeah. I was like shooting down at the bucket. Like I was shooting like on an eight foot hoop <laughs> and then, shot. yeah, shot. exactly. And then, but then I go, then on the other side side it was like i was shooting you know like a 13 foot hoop being like you said the ball would roll down and would go into the oh, road yeah. and the whole bit down in, down in the gully so i i can envision what you went through we, we basically were similar yeah you know? there we go yeah i i know that we i think it made us tougher and stronger and look at us now cc i think i think <laughs> right not my, somewhere in our brains our parents thought this is gonna make make them better this will make them better I, and listen, this is where I developed my my uh, dynamic, uh, you know, horse shot routines, Krista. I mean, yeah. shooting on top of rocks. That's what I did. Yes. There it is. So yes. there you go. Absolutely. And, and, I, I know. I understand it. I'm with you completely. And anytime, completely. And I, and I've already taken on, I've, I've already disposed of Sam Gordon and other media people. You know, so if you want to, oh. if you want to go, you know, one on one with with a horse game, I, I do believe yeah. I'm, I'm undefeated in horse. Okay, over. Like, I know we need we need to do that. It's been a long time. <laughs> you you may remain undefeated if I don't get out there and start shooting around a little bit more. I've I've gotten lazy with my my shoot around, but uh, um, I would love to do that. That 
would be so much fun. There you go. Krista Blunka joins us, a part of the Las Vegas Aces television broadcast team. All right, so I want to ask you, you and Carolyn Peck on the road. I mean, I, I want to hear about these escapades, okay? Because I've seen you guys oh, yeah. after games, you know, here in town, you know, at the Mandalay Bay. I want to know about your escapades. Oh, yeah. Who's the wild one on the road? That's what I want to know. Right? Yeah, I think it depended on the city. But, um, you know, sadly, you know, or, or not sadly, it depends on how you look at it. But, you know, Carolyn's schedule, sometimes she would be bopping in from who knows where because she'd be, you know, working at studio and then popping in. Um you know, since she, she's not here and can't defend herself, I will say she's probably the wild one of the two. But, um, you know, uh, depending on the city and depending on where we were, uh, we both had our moments. We both, both had some crazy moments. Not, not too crazy. <laughs> but really, any day we could get sleep was probably our, our, our favorite kind of day. Hey, crazy's fine. You're entitled. Okay? Plain and simple. <laughs> it's okay. So you've been going on the road a lot with the team I got to know best in, in, in worst arenas or venues from what you do from a TV perspective. Because mm-hmm. some sites, I saw you guys up, up high in the rafters. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah. you guys were on court. So let's, 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 let's get to it here. Best and worst of, of yeah. these WNBA venues. Well, you know, the, the Washington venue, uh, when I used to work in the league, they, they were right where, where the Wizards played and they were downtown. And so a lot of the new venues, they've, they've gotten a little bit smaller venues. The venue in Washington is actually a beautiful and a wonderful size of a venue. But the first broadcast we did there, they did have us up. I thought we were up on a catwalk almost. If you flipped your chair seat just the wrong way, you might, you might go down through the rafters. But we were up high. We were, we were way up in the rafters up against the wall. So uh, they finally did move us down to the court the next time we came around. So that was good. Uh, we had to fight. We had to fight to get a little lower to the court. So not the best vantage point there. Uh, that's for certain. We had, we had a fun time in Indiana. Um, they are in the process of renovating their venue, which is going to be a spectacular again. And, and our hotel was right across the street from it. So eventually that would be ideal, but they were actually at Hinkle Fieldhouse, which um if any of you know from the movie Hoosiers, that's, it's on the campus of Butler University, right. but it's also where the state championship took place when they do the measurement of the rim and all that fun stuff. So, um, so that was really kind of fun, and there's a lot of uh, plaques and, and information about the history of all of that. So that, that, and being from Indiana, it was interesting to me. I probably bored Carolyn to tears with the tour of the uh, venue, but, but she was a good sport and, and uh, kept continued to walk around with me. So, um, but, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, um, and, and, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I, I was going to say Atlanta is the only other one that um, it's a beautiful facility, and the fans have really taken to it. Uh, but they are no longer kind of playing uh, where the Hawks play, either kind of in the middle and the heart of the city. Um, so it's just a little further to get to. So for us, it's always wonderful when you can kind of walk to the venue or you know have a quick ride to the venue. Uh, that's always a plus. So of course, we're always being selfish and thinking of ourselves, but, but, you know, it, it's always nice when you're a little bit closer. It's tricky with Atlanta uh, going to and from, you know, with shoot arounds and then the game with, with traffic, they've got some traffic there too. So that's a little tricky. 
Yeah, I was going to talk about uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse. So uh, I, I've been in, in that building, uh, phenomenal, like you said, mm-hmm. on the campus of Butler. And this is what I do during my summer vacations, Krista. I go to a lot of, of, of baseball parks, and I go to univers- oh, yeah. go to universities. And I know when I was uh, going going on my way to Cincinnati from Green Bay at that mm-hmm. point in time, I was living in Green Bay, and I said, no, I, I got I got a, I was in Indianapolis doing some stuff, and yeah. yeah, I had to go to Hinkle, had to go into the bookstore there, Butler. Get my butler shirt uh-huh. all that you know so no that, <laughs> that is that is iconic there's no question and it's yeah. got to be better than that farmer's coliseum or whatever where the <laughs> the fever were playing right i mean what what was yeah. that i, I love the downtown indy <laughs> downtown indy is great heard some nightmare stories yeah let's just say i think it's a plus that the indiana state fair started <laughs> two days before we got into town because had it not that might that may have been where they would have been playing so i think it was a good thing at the state fair because from what i heard um it was not the most pleasant venue where they were playing before so yeah. uh there, there was definitely a, a little bit of livestock that had come come in and out there apparently so um yeah not not the most fun not the most fun yeah but i hear you uh, well and i gotta give go, go ahead sorry. Yeah, no i was gonna say i know you're you're a big fan of uh, funnel cakes uh and corn dogs oh. we're talking about state fairs <laughs> You know it. I mean, you can they can fry anything up. You get some Snickers and some Oreos and throw some batter on it, and it's, it's go time. <laughs> it's a it's a fan favorite there in Indiana. Let me tell you. There you go. I mean, we could do a whole food segment too of of, of, of oh, best of, of best food at these uh, yeah. arenas as well too. So that would it. What, yes. what what would be your go to food when you go to these cities? You, you got a go to spot, go to restaurant. You know, always I, I'm all about the food, and it's yeah. interesting, depending on where you stay, it kind of determines where you go. Um, we had some very good sushi on the road in a couple of different places. Um, Atlanta actually had a very good sushi place. And, um, you know, when you get up to Seattle, you try to get to the to the water and get some seafood and bop down to the market. And so I have to, I have to give big props to Seattle. They, they did a phenomenal job on their new beautiful, you know, uh, futuristic arena. I mean, it is really, really, it's just beautiful. It, it makes you as a fan want to come into the building. It's a pretty cool place. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I'm going to have, I got a feeling that you probably agree with me that I, I got a feeling we're going to be going to Seattle for the next round. So if that's the case, I'm going to be hitting you up for <laughs> some of those uh, Seattle yes. food spots. There you go. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. There are so many. My goodness. I better start working on the list there, right now. There, <laughs> there you go. Because I like to eat. I'm a foodie, as you know. Yep. So there you go. Absolutely. Yep. Krista, sure. Krista Blunk joins us. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the Aces. You know, you went, you were on the road with these guys, like we mentioned, and they went through that that uh, tough road stretch right before the All-Star break. Actually, they had two really long trips, one before, one after. And... Uh, you know the the word around the campfire around the league was, hey, the Aces have are having problems with some of these good teams, these playoff teams. We saw them struggle against against Washington. We've seen them struggle at times against Connecticut. What did you notice during that stretch when the Aces were struggling? Yeah, one a couple of things that I noticed uh, was just being able to really keep that focus, the kind of focus that you have to have against these very good teams. You know, Washington is a very tough matchup. There's just sometimes there's just certain teams, no matter what their record is or where they stand, that your team maybe just doesn't match up with them quite as well. And Washington has experience. The thing about the teams that really stand out to me that have done well, Seattle with experience, Washington has experience. Um, Those teams that have those veterans, and Chicago has experienced players. So there's something about those experienced teams that the team, the Aces, had a little bit of a, a struggle with at times having that focus. 
I think those last three games at home, you saw a very different focus. And the, and the last game that they, that they were able to go up to Seattle and win. And that's the kind of laser focus you have to be able to keep the entire way, not just 30 minutes. You can't do that against these teams. You've got to be there and ready to go 40 minutes. And defensively, there'd be a defensive rotation breakdown, which would lead to a bucket at the other end. You know, they, it might be a tie game and suddenly it's a 10 point deficit. And so some of it was just a snowball effect. Um, and it all a lot starts with that defensive rotation. And if that's off, it throws off things offensively as well. Uh, this team's had a much different focus and a look in their eye on the court these last several games. And, and hopefully they carry it over into the playoffs because that's the effort they're going to have to bring every single game. These teams that have made it in, let, let's also, you know, be aware that Washington on the road, Dallas on the road, these were teams that were still trying to make a playoff spot that hadn't solidified anything yet. So big target on the Aces back also when they were on the road. No doubt. All right, so let's talk about this postseason. What is your outlook on this postseason, and how far do you expect this team to go? I think they can. I think they can take it all the way. You know, I I, I do think that they can. I, I think that um, this setup with Phoenix. Phoenix is a scary kind of weird team, a very different team than they saw way back. You know, it's it's been quite a while um, since they faced Phoenix. Phoenix's last game when they came in, I don't even remember when it was. It was May. It they, was had, so, they had they had three games yeah. within a three week span in the first three weeks of May. Right. Yeah. I mean, a long time ago. And let's let's be real. I mean, Phoenix. Phoenix has, has had a lot of changes. You know, they don't have Diana Taurasi as of today anyway, injury report-wise, and players with and without. No Skylar Diggins-Smith. Um, Tia Nurse is still out. No Diana Taurasi. And potentially a player they picked up, Kayla Davis, who had been playing and playing some solid minutes, uh, potentially out with a right ankle sprain. So, and then they, they, they trade, you know, Tina Charles, or they divorce Tina Charles. And so the top three scorers for this team – it had been Diggins Smith, Charles, and Tarasi. They're not there. So now Diamond to Shields. I mean, they still have talent um, and in some ways are a better team in, in some parts. But um, they're missing some key pieces. But they're a scary, weird team because they've been beating some teams here as of late. Other than that final game against Chicago, Chicago came in and took care of business in that last game. Yeah, it's really a weird dynamic, and we understand the mm-hmm. Brittany Griner situation. You know, from the very beginning, yeah. and Vanessa Nygaard, who was a Bill Lambert's assistant here, uh, but it's just it's just a strange group right now. And then Skylar Diggins Smith basically quit. She says, "That's it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 stepping away." And she was their leading scorer. It wasn't Tarazi, as yeah. we know. Yeah. In you know, Skylar Diggins Smith was averaging twenty. We've seen kind of a little infighting. We saw that with her and Tarazi get into it on the sideline here, and it just seems like a weird group when it comes to chemistry. So honestly, Krista, I don't yeah. th- I don't see the Aces having any problem. They have been laser focused from the beginning mm-hmm. against Phoenix because we all remember, you know, uh, I was there firsthand. They were there. They yeah. were, I mean, how badly the season ended last year and the Aces still have that bad taste in their mouth courtesy of the Phoenix Mercury. So I think they want to make a statement. Oh, yeah. And I, I do not see this thing going to Phoenix. I think the Aces will take care of business with the first two games. And you never want to look past anybody. But really, how can you not look past Phoenix when you have no Tarazi, no Diggin Smith, and really, I don't know where the scoring is going to come from. Right. And I think that's a really good point from last season. I don't think any of them have forgotten how things didn't go the way they wanted it to last year, thanks in big part to this group. So, um, yeah, you know, where is the scoring? You know, DeShields would be the next one up. Sophie Cunningham, well, Sophie Cunningham struggled against Chicago, only took a few shots. Um, they went to their bench. You know, Megan Gustafson's uh, coming on a little bit better. But right now, they don't have a superstar. They're going to have to do it by committee. I mean, that, the entire team's got to be ready to come out and, 
in some ways they're scary because they have absolutely nothing to lose. And there was a chance they weren't even going to make it into the playoffs. And so here they are. They have nothing to lose. A lot of it's going to depend on how are the officials going to officiate this game. Mm-hmm. But that's where the Aces really have to keep their focus and, and not allow uh, – if, if the play gets a little sloppy or choppy or they get a lot of junk D thrown at them, they have to really be able to stick to their game. And they need to be the dictators. They need to be the ones to dictate how the game goes, not the Mercury. You got a final thing for you real quick. Who do you feel is the most dangerous team out there right now? Oh, well – you know, I think Seattle was playing well as of late. I think that um, I feel like Connecticut's underachieved a little bit, but I don't feel like I've seen them as much either. Uh, Washington probably makes me the most nervous because I, I just feel like if Washington's healthy, they have the most depth and experience uh, in so many ways. Uh, they they make me a little bit nervous, and maybe it's because of the way the Aces faced they, they up and, and met up with them this year. Um, they make me a little nervous, but uh, uh, I think that I think for the most part the Aces – are the team that people right now know they need to get past. If they can stay at home and play in front of the fans, uh, they got a good chance. I agree with you. Yeah, for me, it's Connecticut and Washington. It's those two teams. Mm-hmm. Just see, the the matchup or the size, uh, you know, matchup it can be a little bit scary for the Aces against Connecticut. Yeah, uh, that's what scares me a little bit too. But hey, the good thing, hey, home court advantage, and you won't have a fifth and deciding mm-hmm. game in Washington or or Connecticut or for Chicago for that matter. So. Uh, All right. Let, let, let yeah. those, let those guys point. you know beat each other up over there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and those both of those series are going to be incredible series. You know, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut and Dallas, as well as you know Seattle and Washington. Those are going to be really competitive. I'm I'm really anxious to see both of those as well. Krista, appreciate the time today. Uh, great to see you during the course of the season. You do a fantastic job. You and Carol on the TV side, and I know we'll be talking a lot more here during the course of the playoffs. Oh, TC, back at you, and we are. We're opposite sides of the floor, and you know, every vantage point is different. So, we'll have to, I'll let you know if I'm seeing things on my side of the court this next year, and, and uh, you can do the same because you're right up there in the, in the huddles. <laughs> there, there you go. Perfect, girl. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have fun. You got it. Will do. Thank you. Krista Blunk right. joins us uh, from the TV side, watching from afar here. Now is uh, the national broadcast that take over from that. But I appreciate her. She does a great job, her and Carolyn Peck. We come back. Trevor Maddich is going to be joining us. We talk college football, NFL training camp, and more. Wild Wednesday. T.C. Martin Show feeling good. It's a playoff Wednesday night. Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham Smythe for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. 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 Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, so rolling along for you. Glad to have you with us. We talk a little college football, NFL training camp, Raiders smack dab in the middle of it right now. Oh, yeah, we can hardly wait, huh? For opening day, college football, opening weekend, the NFL, it is upon us. Oh, feeling good, feeling fine. You know what that means? That means more football talk, more food talk, 
More handicapping, more picking winners. Oh, yeah, by the way, that means more Trevor Maddich, the 15-time Emmy Award winner. Turn on your television. You'll see him on ESPN. Turn on your radio. You get him right here. We are blessed to have my good friend join us during the football season. What is happening, my friend? T.C. Martin, I am I am on fire. I'm just driving away from the two-day ESPN college football seminar in Charlotte, North Carolina. Everybody was there. I mean, Kirk Herbstreet, Reese Davis, Chris Fowler. I mean, everybody was there. RG3 was there. It was just a phenomenal couple of days touching base with everybody. We haven't done this since uh, COVID. This is the first time for a long time, and we are set up and ready to go for the college football season. That is outstanding. I can only imagine, Trevor, with those names that you just mentioned, and you guys are out there talking to coaches, I can just imagine the huddle that you guys have with you and Herb Street and Fowler and the rest of these guys. I mean, I got to imagine. I mean, there's some serious breakdown going on there. There's some serious football talk. No, it's some serious fun. I mean, I was talking quarterback play with RG three, and he'll obviously he'll know he'll know ten times what I'll ever know about quarterbacks. I was talking to him about some things and learning a few things, telling some behind the scenes stories with him that uh, are not for public discussion uh, <laughs> about some experiences that we've had with some other coaches, and yes. so that's some fun stuff. But then I got with a couple of offensive linemen, Cole Kubelik and Matt Stinchcomb, who both do a lot of work with the SEC Network. And and we're talking big guys, and we're talking about the toughness that college football is trying to get back to, and you know all kinds of things that uh, just big guy talk. So it's amazing to get around people like that. And I'll tell you this: that I learned more about quarterbacks from Trent Dilfer when he used to work at ESPN. He's the the Fresno State quarterback, went on to win the Super Bowl with the Ravens, and now he coaches high school football in Nashville, Tennessee. And we'd meet in the in the in the makeup room and in the green room, just waiting for shows. And I would pick his brain and, and I would learn more from him than I never knew about quarterbacks up until that point. And it's just, it's just tremendous. But I learned a lot about receivers from Joey Galloway while he played for the Seahawks. I was working for Fox at the time. I was doing um, a Seahawks game and I went down there and talked to Joey for a while. And I learned things from him in that interview that I've shown on breakdowns on ESPN, right? So just to be around people like this, to be able to find out, you know, some of the things that they know uh, is just, it's just such a thrill. It's its my favorite thing about being in this business. So here's what I got to ask. Okay. So you're with RG3, you're with these, these other court, Trent Dilfer, all these guys, knowing you, Trevor, cause I, I know how amped up you get. How many times have you said like, okay, we're in the green room or we're in a parking lot, or we're in the field. Hey, let me snap one to you. The, the the center Trevor Maddich comes out and you want to snap one of these quarterbacks here, and you just want to come up and you want to engage. Uh, you know what? You know what engage a lot is the big guys. You know, with the linemen will get together and start doing techniques. You know, I'll walk up to you know Marcus Spears, who does mostly NFL on NFL Live over there. And he has to be a great guy. Would would have loved to have been teammates with that guy. Just great guy. But big, massive, strapping guy who's so nice. But then he flips that switch when he wants to, and the defensive tackle comes out at him, right? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's amazing. I just love that about him. But anyway, we'll be there in the in the green room. I'm waiting to do Sports Center. He's waiting to do NFL Live. And all of a sudden, we'll just jump up, move some chairs out of the way, and start <laughs> talking about techniques, pass rush techniques that he sees, you know, some Khalil Mack or somebody do. And, and it's like, okay, now if I'm blocking him, here's how I'm going to try to counter that. He said, no, 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 because as soon as you do that, he's going to come back here. 
You know, and I said, well, here would be my response if you did that. And we're in the middle. And, and when you stop and look around, you see all these little guys in the green room, you know, little people uh, from a standpoint of they're not big, they're big linemen, little people, meaning they're not big people like us. <laughs> and uh, they would, uh, and they're just looking at us with these, these big old eyes, wondering if we're going to fight each other right. or what's going to happen, you know, and we're just in there doing our thing. And it's so much fun. That's the thing that guys will tell you that they miss the most when they retire. Yeah, game day is awesome. Yeah, the paycheck is probably the best thing of all. But being around the guys in that kind of an environment is what people miss the most. And now that COVID has allowed for us to get back together in person and for more people to be on on campus at ESPN, it's such a joy. And really, it's the people more than anything else that makes this business great. I feel sorry for the chairs and the food trays in that green room when you guys start going at it. Oh, no, listen, I do that with coaches, too. Right. When Brent Venables was D coordinator at Oklahoma, I was over there in his office he, talking to him, and he's about to jump out of his chair and hit the ceiling, right? And so I said, so, so he ended up jumping up and going out and cleaning out, like, 30 chairs in his office there that were lined up where people could come in and meet if they needed to. And then we were doing techniques that he was teaching on pass rush and blitz and things like that. I was the offensive player. He was the defensive player, right? And then he went off to be – uh, D coordinator at Clemson. Now he's back as the head coach at Oklahoma, right? But this is just how we think, man. We, we, we think in terms of how to win a football play, and we think in terms of communication through physicality, right? That's why you see football players, they, they hit each other a lot. It's not hard, and it's not, it's not you know, meant to be aggressive in any way. We just communicate that way. You just do, you just do a fist bump. You do a little slap on the shoulder. You know, you give him a little push, <laughs> things like that. Because we're just used to, we're used to that aspect of it, and we all miss it. Now, don't walk up to one of us in the street or the mall and try to hit us or push us because we'll hit you back. Um, you know, so you know, you got to be part of the, you got to be part of the fraternity in order to understand that part of it. Yeah, this is Saturday Night Light of a skit. I can see it right now. So you, you know, you see Marcus Spears. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. Hey. What's going on? Boom! You just shove him in the shoulder just like that. Boom! There's a pass block. Boom! Down though. Yeah. yeah. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Slap each other yeah. in the head like they like they do in the helmet. That I can see yeah, that. Not, not not hard. Not <laughs> hard. But you know, just like you know the the the, the guys that played line and linebacker and stuff like that. Quarterbacks less because. You know, quarterbacks are a bit. Oh, fragile. you can't you touch them. Yeah, you, you got to put that little you funny, know. you know, that that little uh, furry thing on top of their head when you see them, Trevor. You know what I mean? Yeah, that furry thing says, "Please don't don't touch me in <laughs> right. practice." That's, right. That's that thing is they bright really red quarterbacks. You yeah. Know? Plus, you might you might get some of their hair product on your hand, and I got to wipe it off. You know, so you don't do that with quarterbacks. But but you know, we're not you know we're not hitting each other. It's it's making that kind of contact. Yeah. I'll reach out and just give them a, a tap on the shoulder kind of a thing, or they'll do the same thing to me. Yeah. And it's, it's just the physical communication that, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, we're brothers. All right, just no clipping back in that green room, okay? We don't, don't want to have uh, to throw a flag. No, yeah, that, that would draw a flag from HR. Yeah. <laughs> if you were to hit somebody in the back of the knees in yeah. the green room, that no, would not be good. No good, no good. Trevor Maddis joins us. All right, Trevor, I got something on my mind, and I need your take on this, okay? You know, help All me right. out with this. Okay, I want you to follow me on this. All right, the college football rankings. Now, we got this announcement last week, and Alabama's number one. I've got a problem with this. In my opinion, there should be no rankings right now. They haven't played a game yet. Everything is based on now, before you've even played a game. Like, the bar is set. Okay, so Alabama's number one, whoever's number two, Ohio State number two, whatever. And it's like, okay, now it's like, 
we're already putting them on this pedestal, and if they win or win decisively, they're not going to drop down. They basically have to lose or play really, really bad in a win to, to drop down. And to me, this is really skewed by reputation because nobody's seen anybody play yet. And, you know, for many of these teams, Trevor, as you know, they don't play any good teams until maybe they get into the conference schedule. They could have, you know, three, four, five cupcakes, and they're still going to be ranked. And how many times during the course of September and October here, well, we believe they're good, but we're not going to know until October, November, until, you know, they really play somebody good. I think it should be a blank slate, no rankings until like week four or maybe week six, similar to what is done with the playoff rankings. We don't have any playoff rankings for that purpose. So why do we do this? And I know we've been doing it forever, but for me, it's just these rankings can't mean anything at this point in time. They don't, and that's why they're so much fun. You're totally right. We haven't seen these people play. So many of them have new quarterbacks that weren't even on campus this you know last year. For example, USC's ranked number 14. Their quarterback... Uh, it was in Oklahoma last year, so was their coach. Their best two receivers, one was at Oklahoma and one was at Pitt last year. You can make that case, right? And all over the country, you've got all these transfers, all these new coaches, all this stuff on teams that are ranked, some of them pretty high, and we don't really know what they're going to be till we see them play. And my response to that, TC, is, so what? <laughs> let's put them in there like we think they might be, and let's fight about it. That's the fun of it. I mean, if people are offended because, you know, we haven't seen them play yet and we shouldn't be ranking teams until October and all that stuff, I would say lighten up, Francis. <laughs> not again. Like, not Francis again. Seriously. I mean, what's – okay, okay, so it's good from a debate standpoint, but no one's earned anything yet. And here's a perfect example. You just brought it up. When you're t- telling me that, you know what came to my mind? Clemson and our good friend who you pronounce better than anybody, DJ Ukulele or whatever is heck. Remember, everyone wanted to give this guy the Heisman before last year. And then we said, well, oh, Clemson, wait a minute. Uh, no, they're really not that good. And they're still not that good. And they're whatever. But we like, kind of anointed them way ahead of time. It's not brain surgery. Yeah. A lot of people thought he'd win the Heisman. They, they made their case wide preseason. Right? Yeah. And based on last year, he played a couple games and he was phenomenal, especially at Notre Dame uh, in place of Trevor Lawrence when he was out. And, and so people thought this, this last year, 2021, he'd be phenomenal and it turned out he wasn't. But no one got hurt because of that. A bunch of people got to say, see, I told you so. He wasn't all that good. Lots of problems happened. Nah, 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 nah. Right? And that's fun. That's why we do it. You know, right now, there's a bunch of people that people are talking about as Heisman favorites, but. You know, very often, people that have won the Heisman in, in the last eight years or so, ten years, either weren't on the team before that season or they weren't starters on their team before that season. You know, I mean, Cam Newton came into Auburn, and he wasn't even on the team. Then he won the, won the Heisman Trophy the, his first year there, right? Um, uh, you know, what was it? Derrick Henry, who was it? Somebody in Alabama, one of the running backs. Wasn't a star. Mark Ingram, maybe he won the Heisman. Um, you know, wasn't a starter the year before he won the Heisman. So there, there's all kinds of people that will rise up out of nowhere, and it's fun to kind of take guesses at it and then take a look at it. That's fine. By the way, there's reasons why DJ Uyunglele, uh was he struggled last year. Part of it was him, and part of it wasn't. 
But either way, that's a great debate to have because now you look at him in his second full year as a starter, assuming he wins the job, and you, you figure out how he might perform. Now we have a baseline. Clemson is ranked preseason number four by the AP. That seems a little high for a team that didn't even play for their own conference championship last year, a lot of people would say. But now we can debate about it. We can fight it. Someone's going to be right and someone's going to be wrong. So, so that, that's the fun part of it. I, 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 taking preseason polls seriously is a, is a, you know, it's sort of a disorder. Lighten up, Francis. There you go from our big toe. There you go. Trevor Maddich. Sergeant Holka. Sergeant Holka. <laughs> Give me your Sergeant Holka's top five right now. Who do you give well, us give us Trevor's top five? Okay, well, I got it pretty much like it like it is pretty close. And why don't you go ahead and give us in the Sergeant Holka theme, give us the pinky toe all the way to the big toe. Okay, well, in that case, well, let's go to the big. And toe. you can choose right uh, or left. I don't care which one you use. You, no, no, it's got to be left. Okay. Are you kidding? Okay, yeah, it's always left. Um, the when you're talking about toes. Okay, so um, you know, but let, let's start with the top. I mean, the AP has Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia as the top three. Right, they've got Clemson at number four and Notre Dame at number five. I don't care what can, they got. I want the Trevor Maddich big toe, here, little toe. Yeah, well, this is where this is where this comes through, though. You know, you, you, I think Utah should be at um, number four or five. Mm. Um, and I can, I let's say four. I can make a good case for Clemson at number five. Pinky toe, um, but uh, yeah, Clemson is the pinky toe. <laughs> and the picky toe. But you know what? Just like there's relegation in Premier League soccer, you can relegate from the from the fourth toe down to the pinky toe. Yeah, you can chop it off. The pinky toe can move on up. Right? Yeah. yeah. You can move it up there. Yeah. You could be Notre Tom Dame, Dempsey. I, I'm a little. <laughs> you be who? You could be Tom Dempsey. Remember Tom? Oh, Dem- he was the one with a half a foot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he kicked farther with half a foot than most people were with both of their feet. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, good for him, man. I was happy for him. Uh, but Notre Dame. Uh, I, I worry a little bit about them because they're really thin at wide receiver, and their quarterback was just named Tyler Buckner. We saw him as a runner last year, and he was electrifying as a runner. But as a thrower, it was just a thrill a minute for the defense as well as for the offense. And uh, until I see him execute the craft of quarterbacking as a passer and a field general, more than just a guy that can heave the ball deep down the field, I don't know that I'm going to put Notre Dame in the top five. So that makes room for Utah to step up. I can make a good case for Clemson. Clemson will have one of the best defenses in the country, maybe one of the top three in the nation. And I think the struggles that their offense had last year will make them all a lot better this year because a lot of guys had playing experience because of injuries last year. I mean, the offensive line last year just—I mean—you never knew who was going to be playing. It was they were epic injuries. Just in that one position group, and the receivers had problems and things like that. I think Clemson at number four is fine. Um, I would put Utah up there at number five instead of Notre Dame. Who do you go with, Bill Murray or Harold Ramis? You know what? <laughs> to hang out with for a night, Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> to be friends with in the long term, Ramis, without question. Yeah, there you go. Bill Murray would annoy you to the point to where it would be, Bill, just... That was funny two years ago, but I, I just can't do it anymore. Ramos seems like he's got a, a, another gear, you know. I guess we should have put John Candy in there as well, too, since we're talking about it, right? You know? Yeah, Candy would be a good one, too, though. Because Candy seems to me like he, you know, he's hilarious, but he seems like he'd have a certain humility to him, humbleness, 
You know, I just get a feeling that Bill Murray, I don't know him, but I just get the feeling that he would say, okay, I'm funnier than you. I'm funnier than you'll ever be. Watch what I do. If you don't find it funny, you don't laugh. It's because you don't get it. And, you know, I get that impression. Uh, Candy would never do that. Right, right. All right. Great movie there. Great movie. The Big Toe, Sergeant Holka. There is Trevor yeah. Couch's breakdown with that. you got to love it. Um, all right. Let's talk a little about NFL training camp here. Now, Trevor, most players dread training camp, right? How did you feel about going to camp? Because I know you're the big football geek. I mean, you know, first-round pick. You came to training camp when you were a youngster. I, just take us through the progression from year one to year 12 or, you know, I don't know. And, and, I mean, and now, how do you look at training camp? Well, now training camp is country club compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Now you can't have two-a-day practices with full pads, I think, at all. You know, and you can't have two practices a day um, uh, more than, I don't know, three days a week, whatever. It's, it's just, there's, they, they've just lightened it up a lot. You can make a case that's good. I don't think it is. Uh, but it does protect you against coaches that can be abusive of your body. So I guess that's good. The, the thing about training camp, even now, though, is that it's more mental than it is physical. And that's one thing that young players don't understand. They'll come in able to play the game. They'll come in in shape, but they don't know what to focus on. They don't know what to worry about. They don't know what's really important to do and really important to not do, and therefore what things to just ignore and which things to focus on. And because of that, they burn a lot of excess energy, and there's a lot of attention diverted from what they do need to do, right, and what the coaches are looking for in training camp. So as you get older, training camp actually becomes easier, strangely enough, because you can you can streamline and compartmentalize. For me, training camp, the only thing I liked about training camp was that the day it started, the clock started ticking to when it was over. The fourth day in, uh, it seemed like you'd never been anywhere else in your life and that you never will be anywhere else in your life. This is Groundhog Day, just like this. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain. That's what it was about. But that's what, what forced you into a team. You know, that, that when you suffer together for a while, you come out the other side uh, as brothers. If you don't suffer enough, well, you don't come out as brothers as much. And so that's, that's part of what training camp used to be that they've lost a little bit of. Worst thing about training camp? The relentlessness of it. You, you, you know, if you're an established veteran and you tell the coach, you know, coach, I need a, I need a, a physical or mental health day. You know, I need a day where I can take a break. You know, and they know that you know that the coach isn't going to penalize you for that. If you're one of those guys, good to go. For everybody else, that you've got competition for your spot, you can't take one of those days. You know, your ankle hurts, you play. You know, I've heard somebody say that that a good backup is the best doctor. Right? If you don't have a good backup, you're going to take all the time you need. If you do have a good backup, the last thing you want to do in the NFL is to. Uh, take a step back just to rest a little bit. Your backup goes in there and lights it up. And all of a sudden, the dynamic has changed. So the relentless nature of having to perform at the highest level every minute, you know, everything you do is being recorded and analyzed and judged. And you can never have an off day. You can never have an off play. That, that's the hardest thing about it. Is there a best thing about training camp? No. Once you start it, then it's closer to being over. But see, that, that forging the team is important, um, and that really is the best thing about training camp. You learn a lot about yourself, but you also learn a lot about your teammates. You'll have people start to whine and complain, right? Now, griping has a rich history, 
and griping is okay, right? As long as it's not true actual complaining, and you can usually tell the difference. Um, when I first got to Washington, for example, our, our training camp was held in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which might as well have been in Badwater Basin in Death Valley. <laughs> it was so hot. Everywhere was too far to walk on campus um, to really walk. But if you didn't have a bike, you had to walk. But if you had a bike, you had to deal with the bike. You know, where are you going to put it? Are you going to lock it up? What are you going to do? You know, carry back up the stairs in, in, in your dorm room. <clears throat> Everything was just not right. And because of that, everybody suffered a little bit more. And that's the place that Washington had training camp when they won their three Super Bowls, right? Well, then, while I was there, they shifted training camp to Frostburg, Maryland. It was up around 4,000 feet, I think, up in the mountains of Maryland. The Frostburg State University, it was nice and cool. We had a nice breeze. There was plenty of shade, right? And it was a lot easier because it didn't have that miserable heat. In the moment, you appreciated that. But when you got out of training camp, you knew. You knew full well that you didn't suffer enough to get the benefits of that suffering out of it. Trevor Maddich joins us talking a little NFL training camp here. One thing we didn't talk about, Trevor, is the food. How is the food at training camp? That's really the what food, I want to know. No, the, the food is good. And, and that's not because they like you. The food is good because they need you to be as nourished as you can possibly be. And, you know, they, they know they need to provide you with good nutrition. And they do. They really, really do. But also, from a physical standpoint, they, they are super careful to monitor everything you do. I mean, nowadays, um, I know college teams, I'm thinking the NFL does, they have accelerometers in pads. So they can tell how far you ran in practice. And if you run too much, too far, too many days in a row, like if you're a receiver, they'll back off your running the next day because they don't want to wear out your hamstrings, right? Uh, they have, they have impact sensors. So they can tell, you know, the cumulative force of hits that you have in practice because they've learned that concussions aren't always just one big hit, but you become more susceptible to concussions as you have cumulative hits. And so they measure these things. And uh, so that's, you know, those things are part of it. And one thing that we used to do, I'm sure they still do, is they would weigh you before and after practice. They're looking for hydration. So for the offensive lineman, if you weighed in after practice and lost more than four pounds, you weren't drinking enough water during practice, and they will fine you. They will fine you. It'll cost you money, right? The, the smaller guys, it was like two pounds. The reason for that is that if you're dehydrated, it's not just dangerous. It also means that you're not physically able to perform as well in the drills and mentally not as sharp as you would be as if you were not dehydrated. So you are you have to drink water, a lot of it, every day, really in between drills all the time at practice so that you weigh in within that within that limit. So the, the you you are better taken care of than you really realize in the moment. In training camp, you think that you're just miserable in every way, but you're actually being monitored for all kinds of signs that you know you might not appreciate. I mean, you're talking about nutrition and everything. Are you trying to tell me we don't have like buckets and plates full of fried chicken there? Like, come on, all you can eat? We got the buffet going. I mean, come on, bring on the fried chicken, bring on the steaks. You know what's funny is that back in the day when Washington won all those Super Bowls right before I got there, um, ouch. But the uh, their pregame meal was fried chicken. It was pasta. Yes. Sitting in two inches of butter. Oh. I'm looking at that going, okay, this, you really want this much, you know, 
saturated fat in us right before the game, pregame meal. Well, they won three Super Bowls doing it, you know, but you can get whatever you want to get. That's they, why they were called they, the Hogs, Trevor. You know that. Well, I think they were the they, they were the they were the kitty cats until they started doing that. Then they got big enough to where they became hogs. So okay. that's how they did it. So so you know, I guess that means if you want to be healthy and a great athlete, you got to eat as much fried chicken as you can. I'm kidding. Don't don't take me seriously about that. No, they. But nowadays, anyway, the money's so big. The players have their own nutritionist. They have their own chef. You know, and that chef, personal chef, will come to their home uh, if they don't live with them, and they'll prepare all the meals. And they'll be portioned out. They'll be, you know, the right variety, stuff like that. I mean, there's so much money. It's no longer like the Raiders used to be way back in the day uh, with Ken Stabler and those guys where they would literally close bars the night before the Super Bowl. Then with, with alcohol on their breath, go out and win the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? This is, you know, those days are over because there's so much money that, that you lose. Um, you know, you, you no longer have. You you can't afford, let's put it that way, to not have every edge you can get because you, the guys competing with you for those jobs in training camp are going to be doing those things, and you don't want to give them an edge and maybe be the 54th guy on a 53-man roster. You know, we see so many of the scuffles and the fights that break out during training camp amongst your own teams. Then you will get into the joint practice thing here in a minute. But I never understood that, Trevor. These the guys are teammates. They're building camaraderie, oh, no, right? Why the fights? Why no, the trash talking? No. Okay. Well, first of all, the fights aren't fights unless they are. Most of the time the fights are like, you know, you see two rams in the wild on Discovery Channel. <laughs> and they, they come up and they go, bam, and they hit heads, yeah. right? I'm not talking about that. one was trying to yeah. really injure the other one. Yeah. They're just trying to show who's boss. Right, if they're trying to injure each other, then it's a different issue. And most of the time, in the animal kingdom, they're not actually trying to injure each other. They're just letting you know I could if I wanted to, so back off. That kind of a thing. And and those fights in training camp are like that. But there's a protocol on fights in training camp. I mean, if if it is an actual fight where I'm trying to hurt you, you're going to get taken down by the coach. I mean, it's going to be bad. Right? A fight in training camp needs to be short, sharp, and over. And you know, I learned that you know early on because my first year. In training camp with the Patriots, uh, I was just so naive, it was unbelievable. I wasn't a knucklehead. I was just clueless, right? And so when guys would give me, I'd beat them in a drill. After the whistle, they'd give me a shove, and I'd just go back and huddle up. And I didn't realize that my, my offensive teammates and defensive were looking at that going, well, gee, if he won't stand up for himself, how can I expect him to fight for me, right? And Because they wanted to see what I was going to do. And so after that, second year on, every day I fought. Every day. And I have a, a sixth-degree black belt in football fights. I can walk up to you and, against your will, take your helmet off your head and hand it to you or throw it away, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, I know what to do and how to do it, right, in a football fight. But the football fight needs to be over quickly in order for it to be okay. Otherwise, it is a distraction, and it does cause acrimony. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about these joint practices with other teams uh, in scrimmages? And again, you know, we heard about the the Patriots and and the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey. You know, uh, you know they had a little a scuffle there. We hear about it all the time. Are you a fan of these kind of joint scrimmages and practices? Love them. Okay, absolutely love them. Um, in part because it breaks the monotony. Remember, I told you seems like you've never been anywhere else, you'll never be anywhere else. Well, it gives you something to look forward to. It gives you new guys to go against and prove yourself against that don't know all your moves. Of course, you don't know theirs either because you're not watching them on tape yet. But 
it's just it's just tremendous. It's, it's tremendous. I mean, I, I don't think they do it enough. It's just fantastic. Uh, and I'll tell you this, I learned something, too. My rookie year, the New York Giants came up to uh, Patriots training camp. And Lawrence Taylor was Lawrence Taylor at that time. I mean, he was the Lawrence Taylor at that time. So we're in a, a one-on-one pass protection drill, which is a defensive drill. It, it's skewed towards the defense being successful. But he was Lawrence Taylor, so he goes against our, our uh, left tackle and went right around him and just just beat him badly, right? And so while the next pair was lining up, our left tackle, as Taylor was kind of jogging back to his, his uh, side, gave him a little shove. So Taylor looked at the coach and said, again, right? And, and I'm just sitting there as a rookie thinking, oh, wow, what, what's going to happen now? And I thought LT was going to, like, hit him in the throat, poke his eye out, you know, something, something vicious. He lined up, and at the snap, he danced around our left tackle, and the left tackle didn't even touch him, didn't even touch him. And Taylor didn't say a word because he didn't have to. He just jogged back to his side, and that was that. You know, and, and that was a, a joint practice, right? So it's fun to see how other people do things, how other pros act like a pro or not act like a pro. You know, it's all, it's all a different environment than a game, and so it's fun. So I'm, I'm going back and I'm looking at an old menu from your old stomping grounds at uh, Redskin Park. And it said for training camp, they've got 875 pounds of fish, 54 dozens eggs, and a kombucha machine. A uh, 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 what? A, a, com- a kombucha machine. What is that, Numbchuck? Kombucha. It's kombucha. like a... What do they make in lattes? Non-alcohol alcohol. It's like a it's like a tea type thing. Well, let's talk to Daniel we, Snyder. What's he got going on over there? Well, we don't want well, we, you, we don't want to know, you know what's going I, on over there. I don't drink at all, but even I will say, what's the point? Right. Eight hundred seventy-five. It's really not. How about eight hundred seventy-five pounds of fish? Fifty-four dozen yeah, eggs, huh? That's that's. Yeah, no, that's uh, those are some busy chickens. Um, <laughs> That makes yeah no it's a whole it's a whole department man the the people they have doing this and they have to set that stuff up and make the food tasty and make it so it doesn't have like salmonella or Hep C or anything in it and uh, it's there's a lot going on you know and as a player you don't even notice any of that you slog on in there you're just glad to not be in practice or a meeting and you just enjoy the meal and you leave and you never pay any attention to how it gets there, you know? That's training camp. There it is. All right, brother. Always great stuff with Trevor Maddich uh, taking us behind the scenes, training camp, the food varieties, and, of course, uh, talking about uh, college football as well, too. And hopefully you've got some time for you to start, you know, doing your handicapping picks because our main man, Marco D'Angelo, is here, and he says he can hardly wait, and Gilby the intern, they're, they're wondering right now, when can I get on Trevor Maddich's overs? <laughs> well, you know something? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really rocket those this year, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> last year was a tale of two, two halves. The first half of the season, I could do no wrong. The second half of the season, I could predict the sun will rise in the morning, and it wouldn't. <laughs> it, it, I mean, seriously, it was just crazy stuff. Uh, but I am looking forward to it. And Marco, let me tell you something. I am so in awe of Marco okay. and his picks and the way he does it. 
I mean, I don't think I can afford to pay him for, like, a, a seminar. <laughs> but watching him from afar, that guy is somewhere between clairvoyant and a genius, and I'm not sure where the pendulum lands. Marco, tell, tell Trevor how he can pay you back. <laughs> a bucket of chicken, right? It, it cosmopolitan. That's all it takes. I'm easy. That's why TC's got me. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me that once I eat a bucket of chicken at the Cosmopolitan, I won't want chicken from any other place. You got that right. Ask Steve Berline about that. He'll tell you. No question about it. All right. all right, brother. Appreciate you as always. Keep up the great work. ESPN, we look forward to talking with you real soon. And Trevor, we'll send you out with this. I'm going to volunteer my leadership to this platoon. An army without leaders is like a foot without a big toe. And Sergeant Hoka isn't always going to be there to be that big toe for us. I think that we owe a big round of applause to our newest, bestest buddy and big toe, Sergeant Hoka. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. Yes, that's coming from a person who just quit. Say that's enough. Done with the LA Sparks. Said that about four weeks ago. And then the other day, she comes out and says, I'm stepping away from the WNBA. I miss Liz Cambage. Always an entertaining interview. Never knew what you were going to get out of her. But fantastic. A lot of fun. Will she be back? Who knows? All right, the Aces in action tonight. Game number one against the Phoenix Mercury. Aces a 14-point favorite. No Diana Taurasi, no Skylar Diggins-Smith. Game one tonight, game two on Saturday at 6 o'clock. Game three, if necessary, Tuesday in Phoenix. Let's hope there is not a game three. I don't think there will be. Uh, but the playoffs start now. The second season begins now. Here comes our astute handicapper extraordinaire. Everything from football to basketball to the WNBA to croquet, Marco D'Angelo. What's up? It's just a typical Wednesday. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here, man. You found your way here. No problem. You didn't need a police escort or nothing. No, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you heard Trevor Maddich call you out like that, uh, what did you think when you were driving in there? Hey, what can I say? You know what? Uh, he's got respect. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's nice. We it's... had fun with him last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I So I remember... Uh, the very one of the first times that we had Trevor on, I told you, yeah, Trevor's going to be joining us. And Trevor's not a handicapper, but again, you know, longtime broadcaster, longtime player in the mm-hmm. NFL, won a championship with BYU, national championship back in the day. And Trevor loves his football. But ESPN started, uh, and here's where I, why I invited Trevor on, you know, last year to do our best bets, is that ESPN started having him do picks the year before. And I go, wow, Trevor. I go, I never knew you were into handicapping or whatever. He goes, he goes, oh, I, I, I don't. He goes, they do all that at ESPN. They just put my name on it. And I go, oh, man. He goes, but you know, sometimes I think I'd be pretty good. Well, I'm going to give you the opportunity, Trevor. And, of course, we give him the opportunity. And he turns out to be like a laughing stock with you and Double B. <laughs> hey, I got some valuable information on one of his picks this year. He Did actually you? picked an underdog once. That's right. And I ran so fast from the window the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun, though. Uh, Trevor, I mean, really dives into his his stuff with ESPN. Uh, again, that's the reason why he's won 15 Emmy Awards. 
as well. He has, and he's a great guy. You can have fun with. You know, yeah. some guys, you know, you can't like me and you. That's why we get along so well. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Let's talk a little baseball here. Um, have the Yankees made you as sick as they've made me the last uh, two weeks? Um, I've actually gone against them a few of the games. I did have them uh, the first game back home of this series. I thought they would turn yeah. it around, but they can't score any runs right now. Yeah. See, they're they're literally unplayable. And finally, if you look, and we talk about it all the time. Vegas is slow to react to the changing of the point spreads with these marquee teams that got off to quick starts. We talked about it a month ago. A regression was going to come. It, it, it had to happen, but I didn't think it was going to come this bad. It's bad. I mean, they're like the third worst team in baseball. Think about that since the All-Star break. Yeah. Third worst. I mean, we're talking about Detroit, Arizona, and then, and then the, the Yankees. And the Mets have scored just as many runs as the Yankees this week. One. <laughs> they got blasted 13-1 on Monday. Got shut out again last night. I don't know about you. It's, it's, I, I don't like going with teams that are in slumps like this. But if I don't go with Max Shears or Mad Max tonight, I, it's like going, not going with Justin Verlander, even though I thought I handicapped the game really well last night with Verlander and Houston. But again... The last two nights in Chicago, the Astros win eight of the nine innings, and they got two losses to show for it because Montero blows up and then Naris blows up last night. Verlander pitched pretty well, but I don't know what your thoughts are. I want to talk with you about some of these games today, but the Mets and the Braves, Braves have just rolled in this series thus far, but Mad Max tonight, I, I, I'm just going to go with him. It's, you know, I'm not going to go against them. Let me yeah, say that. Right. But the problem with it is you've got the Braves. They are streaking right now. And we talk about it. Baseball is the one sport. I don't like to jump in front of streaks in any yeah. sport, but baseball more than any other one. When teams get on rolls like that, and Atlanta's getting it done, if I played the Mets in any fashion tonight, the only way I would do it is a first five-inning wager. So I know it's starting pitcher versus starting pitcher. I don't have to worry about the setup guy, the closer, everybody else that's got to get involved to, to get that win. Now, Shears is a guy that always gives you innings, but I think uh, facing, you know, Who's on Hill? Odorizzi. Yeah, Odorizzi. He's got to, you know, outperform him over five. It's a pitchy mismatch, you know, tonight with Scherzer and Odorizzi. Now, Scherzer faced the Braves 11 days ago. Seven innings, no runs, four hits, 11 strikeouts, no walks. His last 10 starts, two earned runs or less. And during that time, Marco, 77 strikeouts, six walks. And Odorizzi on the flip side, you know, since getting traded from the Astros to the Braves, he's given up 14 hits and has only lasted four innings in each of his two starts. And one of those was actually against the Mets, where uh, he gave up two earned runs, six hits, three walks, uh, four strikeouts in only four innings. Uh, but even before that, he was bad uh, against the A's, went four innings, gave up six runs, four innings in five runs against Kansas City. I just think tonight is like the perfect remedy for the Mets' bats to come alive against Jake Odorizzi. Again, I'm like you. I, I did that Yankee thing thinking they're going to snap out, they're going to snap out, and then I just I, I stopped yep. because I got burned. It was, it was ridiculous to see them get zero against Boston on Sunday and then zero again on Monday. And after that, I said, that's it, because I really thought, okay, change of venue, come back home, pitching advantage, 
Yarborough is going to get a bulk of the work for Tampa Bay against the Yankees on Monday. Yarborough 0-7 at that point in time. No, when a team is bad, they're just bad. And back to the Yankees, not only are they slumping, they've got injuries. The pitching is atrocious. And I just don't see it getting better anytime soon. For people to think that, well, this is just a blip on the radar. No, this isn't a, a series. This isn't just a week. Yeah. I mean, they've lost now, what, 11 out of their last 13? Getting shut out in four of those nine games? Shut out 10 times this year? This is more than a blip. I, I think there are there are major problems for the Yankees. Yeah, whenever you're not scoring runs, it happens to every team. But when you look at the lineup that you have, and you you got all those power hitters in that lineup, and they're not generating any runs, that's a major concern, and you got to back off it. Fortunately, Vegas has caught up to them in this slump. You know, like you've seen them small smaller prices. When do you ever see them at home laying the number that you know that they're laying? You know, the last two days, and so I can't touch them. Uh, do I want to fade them? You'll kick yourself when you you know when they put up a you know a nine spot on you, right? You know and it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that's not one of the ones that I'm involved in. Uh, I like the Mets the first five. I think that is a quality play. Um, another game. I don't know if you looked at it today or not, but uh, I am on San Francisco tonight. They're playing good baseball right now. Uh, they're playing an Arizona team that they should be able to handle. And what I did, I don't want to lay that big number. You know, we try to bring the price down. And again, I like to go mono-mono mm-hmm. starting pitchers. And I think you've got a big edge um, with the Giants tonight, first five innings. So what I did is I laid the half a run TC to bring that price way down uh, because, you know, Rodon's pitched well. And I think it's a pitching mismatch with uh, Zach Davies on the mound for Arizona. I, I agree with you. And here's the only thing that kept me off of the Giants is Rodon, you're right, has been spectacular, especially his last three starts. But his last two starts against Arizona, that's the team for some reason. It just looks like they have his number. He's given up nine runs in his last two starts, and they've been pretty recent, too. And I remember watching the one game when they played uh, in Arizona. Uh, last time, Arizona got five runs off him, gave up two homers. The time before that, Arizona got four runs against him. Didn't go deep in, in those games. But other than Arizona, you look at Rodon, 30 strikeouts, two walks in his last four starts. That's it. And note on those two Arizona games, TC, I saw that in my handicapping, but both of those were in Arizona. We know the ball can fly there uh, given times. And I got two stats for this game that just were absolutely overwhelming. Their play against on Arizona. Arizona, the last two seasons, when they're on the road and they've scored and allowed three runs or less, the next game they're just 3-20. and And then another one's kind of on the same theory – Arizona, um, after a game that they only scored one run or less, the last two seasons, they're 11 and 40 in their next game. Wow. Yeah. Okay. No, I do like the Giants. I mean, I hadn't had it circled here, haven't pulled the trigger on them uh, as of yet. And, you know, like I said, first five is good. Giants are a $2 favorite. Maybe you want to put them in a parlay, and I'll, I'll give you two games that I like, and let me get your take on that. Uh, one of them is Colorado and St. Louis. I like Montgomery and the Cardinals in this game. Since Montgomery got traded from the Yankees, I, I think that you know he probably felt like, "Wow, I'm getting traded from the Yankees. I'm getting you know maybe a potential World Series shot here, and now I'm going to the Cardinals." This has worked out pretty good for Jordan Montgomery because St. Louis is playing some good baseball. St. Louis is 
going to win that division. It's not going to be Milwaukee. It's going to be St. Louis. The Cardinals have been playing great baseball as of late. And since getting traded, Montgomery's given up no runs. Six hits, nine strikeouts, and 11 innings pitched in these two starts. And that was against Milwaukee and his former team, the Yankees. Seattle's playing great, and they're more healthy now than they have been at any point in time this year. They've won 11 of their last 14. They had a seven-game winning streak in there as well. Oh, and then they're going against uh, Marquez tonight, and I'm not a fan of him. So I like putting St. Louis maybe in this parlay, and I'll throw the other game at you real quick too. I like the Dodgers bouncing back. Gonsolin 14-1. I'm just, you know, I, I still haven't bought into Gonsolin, but I'm buying into him more as of late because... And I said this on, on the MLB show that, that I do in the morning on, on Bet US TV and on YouTube is that he's learning how to pitch now, where he never really learned how to pitch. And a lot of people say, well, "That's strange. He's fourteen. What are you talking about?" No, because he, he, remember before he was like a spot starter or middle reliever. He's now learning how to pitch. And Lauer is a guy who's very hittable. He's given up twenty three hits uh, in his last five starts, fourteen walks to go along with that. I think it's a good bounce spot back for the Dodgers. So for me, Cardinals, Dodgers, and I do like your Giants. Yeah, I can't disagree with the the Dodger angle there. I'm going to say one thing about Jordan Montgomery, and it's a reason I stayed away from this game. I used him the first start when he pitched against the Yankees uh, because, you know, I call that the bite the hand that fed you uh, scenario. He was pumped up sky high for that. Then his second start, TC, was against Milwaukee. It was a battle for first place. There was one game separation between the two. I am just worried that this is the first game where he's stepping way down in class, and you would think, oh, okay, he's supposed to roll over them. Hmm. Mentally, he's not going to take the hill with the same uh, mental aspect that he did those last two starts. Okay. All right. Uh, Anybody else you like? The, you know, it was a, a tough card tonight for me. A lot of favorites. I, you yeah. know, Cleveland was a game that I looked at. Uh, again, that would be something. Bring it down. Look at a first five and lay a half a run with. But the only official play I made tonight was the uh, San Francisco game. I did like the under in that Seattle game. Okay. Real quick, uh, NFL preseason. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, any thoughts about games moving forward this week, specifically Raiders-Dolphins? I think we had that big uh, week of overs last you know last week and everybody's going to overreact and you've seen the totals come out a lot higher i actually think you're going to see an under in the raider miami game i think it's going to be a more true type game uh, maybe a little more game planning uh, i know they don't do a lot in preseason but i think they take things a little more serious and remember the raiders will be this is their third game third game wondering are we finally going to see Carr and adams or does Josh McDaniels continue to say, nah, I don't, I don't need these guys. I don't need them out there in the preseason. I would think you got to give them a few reps, and if you do, that's another reason why I like the under. I think they'll keep the offense you know, simple. Not, you're not going to expose the whole playbook. Yeah, yeah. And traditionally, we've seen nothing but unders in the preseason. Yeah. And last week, uh, the kind of the pinball machine went off, right? One of the things I noticed last week, TC, and you look around the league, a lot of coaches, you know, you used to see in preseason, you had four quarterbacks go through. You know, everybody got the starter, got maybe a series, and then you just, you know, emptied the bench, kept going through it. A lot of teams went with, uh, with two and three. And what happens is you get more continuity of those guys playing longer in the games. And if you look at, I got burned with Buffalo last week. I had Indianapolis, and I thought I was home free. They only went with Case Keenum and Matt Barkley. Those are two guys 
that have started significant games in the NFL, and they were in there for the whole game, those two guys. So it made a really good uh, quarterback rotation. And, of course, my Steelers, you saw all three quarterbacks put up big numbers. Mm-hmm. Again, it was you know against second units and, you know, after the first quarter, but uh, Kenny Pickett, they're they're already you know putting them in Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. Thirteen of fifteen. I in saw that. Yeah. I saw it. And the Ravens continue their streak, yeah. where they just nothing but win. John Harbaugh is amazing. I mean, and, and, and again, even though they adjust the line by maybe a point or two, you know, making it a four and a half or five point, do you just continue to get on the Ravens? Unfortunately, I stepped in front of them with Tennessee. I thought Tennessee yeah. had the better uh, rotation. I know other people did that too. Yeah. yeah, and I thought the line was too high. And they were in it for three quarters, but you know, at the end they lose. You like Baltimore this week? I'm I'm not going to jump the bandwagon there. I, it's just I know it's there, but you're, you keep paying a price for it in preseason. Uh, these lines are getting ridiculous. Yeah, well, we're not, we're not seeing double digit lines here. You no, know, but, but it, it's still it's it's preseason, and you know you got to worry about it at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. If it is a close game, these guys, you know, you're not going to get to tie it up and go to overtime, and you know yeah. get get to cover. They're going to play for you know the win right there. You're either going right. to go for two or whatever. You know, if it's a close game, you're not going to play for the tie. So those are different aspects to look at in preseason. We talked about the key numbers, not three in the preseason. Yeah, five and a half Ravens over the Cardinals. Uh, this week and if you look at the Raiders a one point favorite over Miami on Saturday. Marco I appreciate you being here as always man we're looking forward to a great football season just heating up we got college we've got uh, one more Saturday without college football and then it's boom there we go just one we gotta get by one more Saturday yeah, it's football till February. You gotta love it. Yeah. You gotta love it. Want to thank Marco for being here. Want to thank Trevor Maddich as well too. Krista Blunk, uh, the TV side of the Aces, and talking about tonight's game between the Aces and the Mercury. Game one of the playoffs tonight. We'll come back tomorrow and recap that. Sam Gordon will join us. Did a fantastic column in this morning's RJ regarding that. Steve Sachs going to join us tomorrow as well too, and Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. Appreciate everyone for joining us. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene right here tomorrow at 2.